Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me, first and foremost, on my left, is none other than former Warwickshire and current Leicestershire seam sensation, Chris Wright. So Chris, first things first, mate, thank you ever so much for taking the time to come back onto the County Cricket Podcast. It's always a pleasure to welcome you on for a chat about all things county cricket. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Yeah, no, my pleasure to be here. Uh, no, it's been really good. Arsenal won 4-3 last night against Luton, winning the last kick of the game, so I'm still on a high from that. Yeah, to be honest, sir, my mates, as a fellow Arsenal fan, Declan Rice, 90 plus 7th minute winner, wasn't it? Yeah, he's so he's so good. He's just unbelievable. Oh, I, didn't realize, I didn't realise how good he was, to be fair. Do you still think he's worth 100 million, though? 100. percent I'd have paid 200. No, having seen what I've seen now, I would have paid more. Yeah. Fair enough. He has been an outstanding signing, as Nians. Yeah, it's nice to see Arsenal top of the table again. It's it's like those early 2000s, isn't it, under Wenger? So yeah, fingers crossed we can keep it up. And yeah, who knows? Maybe come the end of the season, some silverware heading back to North London would be absolutely lovely. It's about time, to be honest, in terms of the Premier League. But Aside from our Premier League chat, Chris, we have, of course, got yet another incredibly special guest joining us here on the podcast today. So without further ado, folks, we've got the the dynamic Joe. It's not just righty. We've also got the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Keith Barker. So, Barks, I'll ask you the exact same question, mate. How has your day been so far? My day's been all right. I've just done a little bit of coaching this morning for Southampton Uni um, and then just scampered here to get back to do this podcast. Fair enough. Well, again, Barks, it's great to have you back on the podcast for for part two. It's been a while, hasn't it, to be honest, Jen, since both of your episodes. Goodness me. Time absolutely flies. But yeah, honestly, this is just incredible and absolutely remarkable recording. And yeah, life doesn't feel real sometimes, having writing and Barks on the same podcast as a massive Warwickshire fan does not get any better than this. And chaps, to, to kickstart today's episode of TCCP, we've got to talk a little bit about the off-season. So, Keith, I'll start with you first and foremost. You mentioned there about coaching. How have you been keeping fit and been keeping active over the course um, of the winter? Well, I had an operation literally um, in November, mid-November. Um, I had a bit of an injury before the final probably a week before, something like that. Um so I have been doing quite a bit of rehab and then a lot of coaching on the on the side. So I kept myself busy doing that and uh, just rehabbing, trying to get myself ready for the start of the season. Well, fingers crossed that all goes smoothly. Of course, we want to see you in action come the start of the season. And you mentioned that coaching. Coaching is a fantastic thing, isn't it? Being able to give back to the game and inspire the next generation. How have you been finding that coaching journey so far? I've really enjoyed it. Um, I've been fortunate enough still have him here now i've had graham welch for quite a while um and rightly vouched for me saying how well he he's been well how good he's been for both of us um and i'm fortunate to have him here now so i'm learning as much as i can off him um and it's really good to give back you know trying to see people's uh, actions or batting techniques and trying to work with them trying to develop them see the game a bit from a bit of a wider view rather than just kind of sometimes people kind of just think really marginal um and that can stop the development so it's been it's really good i'm enjoying it and hopefully something i can do uh further down the line oh 100 it's a great career path isn't it 
after the the professional journey does finish. It's just yeah. a, a great way to, to give back to the game. And yeah, really glad, to be honest, that you're involved in a coaching capacity because it keeps you in this wonderful sport. And yeah, hopefully under Pop Welch's incredible guidance, we'll see more Keith Barker in a coaching capacity. Who knows? Maybe watch a bowling coach one day, hey, Keith? Come back to, come back to paradise? <laughs> we'll see about that. We'll see. Hey, life's funny. We, we never know until the, the future pops its head around the corner. So I'll keep my fingers crossed, personally. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that, but maybe that's just the, the inner Bears fan talking. And Righty, what about yourself, mate, in terms of your off-season so far? Have you also been dabbling in some coaching or have you been doing something else over the course of the winter? Uh, yeah, to be fair, no, just doing a lot of fitness work, um, which has been good. It's something something I quite enjoy. So um, that's been fun. And Keith and I have, we've been in a lot of discussions about potentially launching something together of this kind of nature. So just trying to get into that really and come up with lots of ideas. Well, let's touch upon that because I did actually have that in mind as being a major focal point for today's episode of the County Cricket Podcast. And that is your new venture into the world of podcasting and the cricket broadcasting side of things. So first and foremost, I'm not sure which one of you actually wants to make the big announcement, but I do believe that the pair of you do have something to announce in terms of a podcast. So without further ado, chaps, what can we expect over the course of these next few months? <laughs> well, no, no, it's, um, I mean, we've not ironed out all the details yet, but it's something that we actually, we actually talked about last winter. And we probably weren't, we should have just done it and we weren't probably brave enough to take that leap of faith. But we were discussing the other day, if we had, how amazing the final that we've just played would have been if we could kind of have been podcasting or blogging or whatever in and around it. Um, it'd have been amazing. Um, but either way, we, we didn't. But um, yeah, that's kind of lit a bit, little bit of a fire, really. So um, the content of it, we need to straighten up and get really sorted. But essentially podcast and, and a few other things um but it should be fun we, we get on really well and you know we've sort of clicked ever since i i joined more actually in what 2011 mm. so and although we although we live far far apart now you know we, we keep in touch and constantly talking about county cricket and what's going on and stuff so we figure we may as well bring it to life on uh on zoom or Streamyard or something like that Hundred percent. I mean, I'd completely agree, lads. Just go for it. Honestly, podcasting is absolutely fantastic. You know, I've been doing this podcast now for well over three years. Spoke to over one hundred and eighty separate people involved in county cricket, and everyone's got a story to tell. That's the great thing about podcasts. You can just be yourself, have a nice laid back conversation, and yeah, to be honest, I'll be keeping a very, very close eye out on that because it sounds very, very interesting. And talking of that kind of friendship between you two. I can't believe I never asked this on either of the podcasts which I did with you. But in terms of your first impressions, Keith, what did you make of Wright as soon as he, he popped his head into that Warwickshire dressing room? Weirdo. No. <laughs> um, um, no, I noticed so when he joined Warwickshire, um, Richard Johnson, wicketkeeper, was still there, who was massively into his, his fitness. And Wrighty kind of really linked up with him quite a lot so I was like I'm not a massive gym junkie so I'm not bothering getting into all that um but I think we really started to kind of get to know each other more I think we ended up was it pre-season we shared a room we had to, uh, we had to I think it was oh, no, I don't know if it was I, I I room with 
Chris Metters and Richard Johnson, and I had a little camp bed on the floor in Barbados in year one. Yeah, but I think I think from then it might have been like start of the season, maybe. Yeah, we moving together, um, and obviously got to know Chris from then. And he's quite a unique bloke, Chris. Um, especially he's hard he's hard to read unless you know him really, unless you've room with him for a while. So like, I started to pick up on things that no one else would when he was bowling, right? When he's like angry and he gives it a really, should we say, colourful teapot. <laughs> if he beat the outside edge and I'd be like, and in my head I'd be like, There's, he's pretty angry here. And then I'd like kind of judge up when his bounces come in and it would be around when I thought. So I was like, I started to pick up on understanding better, but um, no, we've gotten well since the start really. You certainly have, and it does appear like a great friendship has, has just blossomed over the years. I, th- I think that was the case at Warwickshire, to be honest. The, the synergy that you two has when bowling from those different ends was a sight to behold, as, as many a Warwickshire fan can attest to. And Wrighty, I'll ask you the exact same thing. What were your first impressions of, of Mr Barker? Uh, you know what? I honestly, I honestly can't remember first meeting key this sounds weird i remember what i remember watching you on the telly when you were batting like at three was it three or did yeah. you open it in the in the white ball stuff three, three and i remember yeah. you got hit you got hit on the badge didn't you sweated hot yeah and that then went around and was a lot of like footage about helmet quality and stuff mm. um but i know you got on with pop and obviously i love pop so that was kind of a i think you know if if pop thinks you're cool then I was yep. happy to go along with that. But then we played Yorkshire, didn't we, on, on that. For the first game I played was Yorkshire away. Yes, yeah. And it was you, me. One of our Neil teammates Car- left. Huh? Yeah. One of our teammates left. Like, yeah, like, Neil Carter and Chris Metters. That was the bowling yeah. attack. And we, yeah. yeah, we bowled them out twice and smashed them at Headingley. And it was like, Jesus. And I remember yeah. you bowling really well at like Rudolph and, and stuff. Obviously, that was sort of the start of you really nailing your your Red Bull Red skills. Bull. Yeah. Uh, but I just remember being like, oh, Jesus, a spoken bowl. Um, you were coming really wide at that point, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Big, big hoopers. Um, but then, yeah. Yeah, I, so I don't... In terms of hanging out, I can't quite pin down when we first exactly started, but mm. there was immediate respect there from a cricket perspective. Yeah, to be <clears> honest, that does seem apparent. And it was quite the partnership, wasn't it, that you two built at Edgebaston over the years and just touching upon those years apologies for those who aren't off a Warwickshire persuasion but I've got to ask this as a Bears fan if you could pick out one particular day one particular game which you two shared over your time at Edgebaston which day would you say really was the highlight from your time down at Warwickshire it wasn't at Edgebaston it was um, at Worcester when it was literally if we win this game we've won the league Um, and we Bowled 15 hours each on the bounce and took both. We've got to take five for, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was probably my highlight. Um, just because it was like real graft, we both bowled really well. Um, and I don't think I've ever come close to bowling that many overs in one spell since. Um, but no, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was an epic moment that wasn't it? Because obviously they they chose the bat first, didn't they? Yeah, uh, and we obviously bowled them out for. 40? Yes, yeah. The in chat- the morning session, it was like, oh, it was, you know, you, you pretty much won the league in that first hour. You shouldn't, you shouldn't lose too many games from there. Yeah, because uh, I think, were we going to, we, I think we were going to bat first and yeah. almost, if we can 
because it was a bit of a spicy wicket. If we can be two down at lunch, then we're going all right. Obviously, we lost a toss and bowled, and then bowled them out, bowled them out at lunch, which was, yeah, amazing. It really was, and obviously for us as fans, we enjoyed that just as much, to be honest, especially against Worcestershire. Always means that bit more, and I, I did have a feeling that that game was going to come up, so I did have a little bit of trivia actually lined up for today, and gents, it depends how you want to ask this, actually, but... Do you want to answer about your own figures or about Keith's figures, for example? Chris, which one would you prefer to do? Would you rather answer about your own figures or Keith's? Which one would you prefer? Oh, I reckon I'll be useless at both. Go on, I'll, I'll, I'll give Keith's a go. <laughs> okay, that is going to be very, very difficult. Right then, Mr. Wright. <laughs> I can't believe you've chosen that. Well, I've done that the wrong way. If it makes for a better show, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, first and foremost, over the entire match, right? So not just that first innings. What right. were Keith's figures at New Road? Uh, well, I reckon you did 15 overs in the first dig, definitely. It'll probably be 30 overs, seven wickets for 70-odd. <laughs> Exact number? You're very close, actually, to be honest. Chris. I reckon you're not far 73. Seven for 73. Is that your final answer? Sure, then, yeah. yeah. Keith, do you actually know? I think my first uh, first innings was 15 overs, five fifth. I want to say 33. Um, could be more. But I think um, overall, I'm sure I took seven for... I don't remember the overs, so I'll go with righty's guess of 30 overs. For yeah, seventy-eight. Oh goodness me! Right, okay. In in terms of the wickets, you didn't take seven. Yeah. You took eight. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of the runs, both of you are incredibly close. So <laughs> the actual number was seventy-five. Uh, and the next question for you, Keith. Actually, before we get on to righty's figures, can you remember those eight wickets? Um. No, but I know I got Hughes. Hughes dropped and then caught Hughes out, Moe out. Um, oh, nah, I'll be struggling. I reckon I got Cavazzi. I think Cavazzi played. I think I've got him. Um, nah, I'm not going to remember them all. Nah. Right, I'll jog your memory then, Keith. So in terms of that first innings, you're bang on. You've got Phil Hughes out for 10. You've got Moe and Ali out. you trapped Joe Leach, LBW. you got Brett Dolivera caught by Varian Chopra. And then you finished it with the wickets of Nick Harrison, Worcestershire's number 10. Then in terms of the, the second innings, again, three pretty big wickets here. So you got Hughes yet again this time for a five-ball duck. You bowled Daryl Mitchell, the Worcestershire captain. Oh, yeah, that. And then you got Alexi Cavese, our LBW in that second one. So right. yeah, you got three of them. Yeah. 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 Oh. yeah. <laughs> Quite, quite a few bold in there as well, to be honest. Always a nice way to, to get your wickets. And yeah, I suppose on the flip side of that, Keith, can you recall what Mr. Wright's figures were on that day? I can write bold more overs than me in the game. Um, Shock. I'll just pick up what's <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to say bold 35 overs. And. You take, you took five in the second. And only wick I remember you taking was Rich Al, because it was to win it. Um, but I'm going to say 
I'm going to say he took eight as well, maybe nine. Which one? Um, uh, nine. And right, he always went for more runs than me, so. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon he's going to. I'm so tired. <laughs> 35 overs, nine, four, 86. That is a great guess. That really is a good guess. Chris, do you know your figures from that game? Uh, I, I don't. I know. Obviously, I bowled the same amount of overs as Keith in the first innings and got five. I think I got three wickets in the second innings. <clears throat> so I think I only got eight in the game. I don't know, have a clue about runs. Keith's actually closer. You did take nine. You took nine in that game. Nine for 89. Okay. From 33.3 overs. So that, that's pretty good going, that. Not bad. Fair play. I don't need that. You don't really think that much, Chris. He just runs in and tries to hide it down there to me. Yeah, I know, I know I got the lower order out, That was, which is a must-do for anyone who's serious about getting wickets. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what yeah, that's, that's, what if, that's if you bowl above 80 mile an hour. If not, then... <laughs> <laughs> bit different. To be fair, though, I mean, we see it all the time with England, don't we, in test cricket, that lower order. Lower order runs are absolutely killer, aren't they, in terms of momentum and... It, it just depletes you at times, flip and heck. It's really frustrating, to be honest, too, to witness that. And in terms of that final wicket, Chris, would you say that's one of the, the best moments of your entire career? That satisfaction, that joy, that exuberation, I suppose, of, of actually winning and, and lifting the county championship? Yeah, no, yeah. Yes, it was. I preferred, I think I preferred a wicket one or two before, actually, um, in terms of as a wicket, because Richo kind of just moved out of the way and gave it up. <laughs> didn't it? Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I feel like it was quite calculated because basically everyone just ran and grabbed stumps. Do you know what I mean? This was the beauty of the fact that we bowled them out for 40 on in the first innings. It was kind of inevitable. So everyone was like ready. So as soon as the wicket happened, everyone ran off, had a high five and then just ran, up, ran about collecting um, material objects to take home. Uh, but no, it was yeah, it was amazing. I, I, to be honest, I feel like actually, actually the first innings was nicer. Walking off with five wickets each because you knew you knew you. I mean, you're not supposed to say this, but we kind of probably knew that we'd won already at that point, and it was a, it was a more calm, special moment than the the, the end. If that makes any mm. sense, maybe I'm just being a bit soppy. Uh, but being able to take your boots off there, sit on the balcony, and be like, Jesus, you know, we're bowling out for forty here. We just need to get. 300 odd on the board which we expected to do mm. then you know we've yeah it was, that was that was a nice moment for me uh, i'm not surprised to hear that to be honest and just touching upon that almost synergy between you two because you, you both had some fantastic spells I, i'll ask you this first and foremost keith why is chris so good to bowl alongside why do you think you two did have such a, a brilliant kind of chemistry on the cricket pitch um I think we both looked out for each other. One thing we started to do, rather than the normal thing of like a lot of people will bowl and just jump down to find like we made sure we were at each other's side, mid on and mid off, just like helping each other out, talking about what the batter's doing, or if we looked as though we weren't really on it as much. Um, building that trust, I think, really helped. And obviously, then with how he bowled on top of that, it's like, well, how can you not get on with this guy? Um, and also, we had a similar mindset with how we bowled and how we saw the game and saw batters. So I think that really helped. 
Well, in terms of that mindset then, just before Chris asked you the exact same question about Keith, actually, in terms of that mindset, that mentality, that approach towards opponents, what was that mentality that you two shared then in terms of the way in which you, you viewed the game of cricket? I think it stemmed, well, for me, it helped with Pot Welch. He gave me a bit more confidence to actually trust what I was doing. Um, so I had less doubt. But um, I'd probably say we were very confident in what we were doing. And I, had, I, I probably bore with a bit of, um, not intimidation or anything, but kind of, I think people are aware of, people are aware of, they, I know what I'm doing and I have the confidence in that. Um, Chris is quite aggressive when he bowls, just with how he bowls, um, which is quite interesting. Um, that he's just secretly bubbling underneath the surface of trying to rip people's faces off. But also knowing that he's got the skill to swing it away and nick someone off. Um, I think it was just, we applied pressure really well. And that's our, that was our main thing of keeping things tight and uh, being aggressive as we could with the ball um, from start to finish. I really like the answer, to be honest. And of course, in cricket, you can be aggressive in different ways, can't you? So in terms of bouncers, in terms of that short ball barrage, or indeed it could just be going with the attacking slip fields, couldn't it? And nipping that ball about off of the seam. So that's a really interesting mentality and approach to have towards the game. And Chris, in terms of Keith, I mean, as I said, the pair of you are absolutely unbelievable to watch. But in terms of your thoughts on that particular question, why was Keith such a fantastic partner to have during your time at the Bears? Um. Well, I think to be fair, I think Keith's, Keith's oh, very, very complimentary there. I think our skills are obviously different. So there's never any, it was never any friction with ends. It would always be Keith looking at, at this point anyway, you're always looking to shape it back into a right-hander um, from over the wicket, which obviously meant I'd naturally be trying to swing it away from a right-hander. Um, I'd say I was probably skiddier off the surface. Keith probably would extract a bit more like bounce out of a pitch. Um, so there was a sort of subtly different tests at either end. Um, I mean, it's obviously just about Keith, but in terms of the whole attack as well, we kind of had a lot covered. You know, we had pace bounce from like your, your Boyds and your Clarkies and your, something like Wokesy or OHD. There was a lot of different things going on in our attack. But obviously in terms of Keith and I, basically kind of polar opposites opening the bowling, which was pretty handy. Um, and I think... Yeah, Keith's confidence is always something I've admired, um, and that can be that can rub off on you, can't it? Um, I feel like you always backed yourself to get anybody out, um, and everything about your bowling seemed very deliberate. I don't want to say like Shane Warne, but you know how there'll be a bit of theatre and it, it, that kind of that kind of thing. Um, yeah, whereas I'm probably a bit more. Um, headless and run in and try really hard but that, that's how I that's how I fundamentally would see it well to be honest I think you two both did a fantastic job and I know I've made this comparison a lot before in the past obviously it's a little bit different because Keith you're a left-hander and these two that I'm going to mention are, are both righties but in terms of that kind of dynamic I always saw you two as the the county version of Anderson and Broad it was always <laughs> something happening someone swinging it around corners someone nipping it off the seam and it was just a fantastic partnership. So I think it's safe to say, gents, it's been a very wholesome start to the podcast, hasn't it? Lots of compliments, lots of, of good times and good memories being recorded. And just talking of the stuff off the field, because 
that's important, isn't it? In terms of the company and in terms of, of those days outside of cricket, you're not always performing on the cricket field. What would you say is your favourite off-field moments together during your time at Warwickshire? <laughs> uh, uh, this is brilliant. I feel, like, I feel like you've thought of chops in Nando's there. I don't know why. No, no. You know what? <laughs> I don't know why. I can... It would probably be all summed up in Dubai, like thinking, <laughs> no, I'm, I thinking I'm having a chat with Keith and looking at him, and he's 200 meters down the road. <laughs> so still, because basically, we went, we were in Dubai in a pre-season, uh, and Clarky at the time. So Clarky, Keith, and like Laurie and I would hang out a fair bit. And you were giving it the massive one, weren't you, about how you were going to take down Cheesecake Factory and eat, <laughs> <laughs> and eat, eat starter, main, cheesecake, Fanta, and a shake, a milkshake. And basically, you I think you took it on and you did it, which was impressive. But there was a queue for the loo, wasn't there? <laughs> at, the the meal, at the end of the meal, so you didn't. But then, and you thought you could make it back to the hotel, but you couldn't. And you just no, no, to... hang on, hang on. You're making it sound as though there was a bad ending here. There was. <laughs> <laughs> no, there wasn't. There wasn't. But this, yeah, I, that sort of stuff I find funny. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that one's jumped out at me. We had we had a, a lot to be honest, because obviously yeah. you, live, you basically live with people, don't you, in a cricket environment? Yeah, yeah. Um... Mine would probably be Dubai again, actually. Water park, right, you'll remember oh. this. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're, you know the rubber rings you, you can obviously lay in and sit, sit in and we're at a water park where you're just kind of floating around the park and you can go different routes and different rides. And uh, we were going to, a, me, Clarky and Wright were going on a, towards a ride, but you had to go up this escalator and there was like handlebars on the side, both sides for you to hold on to. And I've gone up first and Ricky Clark's gone up second. And I'm just kind of looking up, looking behind me, waiting for us to get to the, to this ride. And I then focused on Wrighty because I could see something wasn't right. And he was going feet up first, which fine. But for some reason, rather than just kind of have his hands sliding along the poles, he decided to grip hold of them while he's still going forward. So what ended up happening is his feet went up back past his head. <laughs> And then he fell out. Um, it was just, yeah, there were some <laughs> funny, funny parts of like being away together. Uh, but yeah, like one, one teammate <laughs> wanted, uh, I think it was Guinea some, Guinea some black corn, oh, and um, he asked for Guinea some black. <laughs> he he had about four, and his bill came to like three hundred and fifty quid. <laughs> Because they thought he meant black liqueur, not actual black currants. So yeah, he's obviously it's expensive out there anyway. So he actually had to pay the bill, which was quite hilarious. Yeah, he was blind as well, wasn't he? Because he thought he was drinking like a watered down Guinness, but he was having like a Guinness on steroids <laughs> after about three of these. And I remember, I remember we were just in this place thinking, he's on it. Here. He's, <laughs> you know, he's going. For it. He's off out, out after this. Yeah, um, there's quite there's probably there's loads, but. Yeah, it's hard to think of them all now. I'll tell you what was funny, Barbados in 2013, when you, you caught the side of the net. <laughs> <laughs> and you ended up face-planting on what was a concrete slab, basically. Yeah, it was a pretty... So, basically, there's more to it. I got um, For some reason, <laughs> Dougie, Dougie Brown was head coach, and he was trying to get the nets even, so like some bowlers would face 
seam bowlers and then the batters would face the the current batters that had just been in. So the one thing you'd always normally do pre-season if you were a bit unsure about what nets you were getting, you'd put a younger batter in there um, just to kind of test the nets almost to see that everything's all right before you put your, your big guns in or whatever. Um, Dougie put me into bat first. And we, <laughs> we'd we been there before and the wickets were a bit spicy at times. And I I was, I had boots on ready to like warm up to bowl and he's like, I'll box your opening. And I was like, why did he put me as a, no, no, I'm not a net tester. Don't do that. And I just said, I don't think it's right kind of thing. I'm just worried that I might break my hand or something like that. And he's like, no, no, it's fine. So I went in the net ticking. Um, safe to say I had probably my, probably my second ball, a length ball fizzed past my head. So I'm fuming inside now. And then I took two balls off, like punched the ball, just like top hand bang. So I'm really, really, really like, I then finished that net, went into the spinner's net, charged every ball pretty much, <laughs> and then came on to bowl afterwards. And there was a strong wind. I was in the left net, and there was a strong wind <laughs> blowing to the left. So I'm running to bowl. As I bowled, I've kicked my leg out, and um, the net, <laughs> the net caught my my spikes, and I face planted on a solid M25 trike, just like bang. And there was pure silence, but you know when everyone's laughing just quietly, I turn around, I can see him at the top of his mark, just <laughs> holding, his, holding his nose, Ricky Clark turning, looking the other way, I was fuming, yeah, it was pretty bad. It was it was a brilliant moment because you, I wouldn't say you were sulking, but you were really, <laughs> you were in a bad, bad mood. It was like, the timing of it was just perfect. Mm. But yeah, we were we were very lucky to be fair. Like Warwickshire went on what three or four tours to Barbados, and then yeah. we did a couple of years Dubai, Dubai Abu Dhabi. Oh. So we had, you know, you're going to get to know people really well. Mm. Uh, but they they were some yeah some great great trips those geez. To be honest, they sound like it. And thank you for those stories because that is going to make for some fantastic content. To be honest. I've had to, to to mute my mic for those wondering if you can hear me. Actually, I was laughing, um, in particular about that one with you, Keith, because I can just picture that in my head right now about someone face planting. But I, I suppose on the flip side of that, before we touch upon the, the Metro Bank One Day Cup and we touch upon your new venture into the world of podcasting in a bit more detail, just uh, I suppose on the flip side of the of the good times, because it appears as though you had many of those over the course of your time at Warwickshire. Unfortunately, cricket is a bit like life, isn't it? You do have these great moments, but you also have your tough moments. You have your difficult moments. And I know for you, Sue, you did have a spate of injuries over the course of your time with the Bears. So I suppose in terms of the, the more tougher and more difficult moments from your time at Edgebaston, what would you say was the, the toughest one over the course of those years? I'd say for myself, I've been pretty fortunate. Um I did have a knee operation in 2010, um, which took me three months to get back, um, which obviously nowhere near what Chris Chris had with his back, which was, that was 2013, right, was it? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I'd say I was pretty, I've been pretty lucky that the injuries that I've had have never really been as long as what they could. But um, obviously it's always terrible when you get injured because you only want to play um there's one time actually i blamed him for this injury i got a side strain but i was like trying to be a little bit more like him he'd be going in the gym like 
before going out to bowl the day like the morning of again whatever just to like get himself like active what i was like you know what i've been working on my front arm loud pulling it yeah, i reckon uh, pull-ups like wide arm pull-ups work perfect for it so i've literally like done three sets of 12 like feeling yeah really good ready to go and like just like let go of this ball i think i was born against uh it was against durham a ball against ben stout tore my side <laughs> And that was like eight weeks out, um, and I just decided I'm never doing that again. I'm not following his footsteps. Like I need to do things differently. He's got his way. I've got mine. Sensible. And, and you, Righty, what about your your choice for the the more tougher and more difficult moments? Because as Keith alluded to, there you did have that massive injury in 2013, kept you out for the entire season, wasn't it? If I'm not mistaken. But would you say that was your your most difficult time or the most difficult moments from your yeah, time spent yeah. with the Bears? Yeah, probably. I feel like it interrupted my flow as well because <clears throat> at that point, Keith and I were on a you know really good trajectory. We're getting lots of wickets and a bit of attention in terms of you know England Lions and potentially more on you know that kind of thing. Um, I remember there we were at Middlesex, we were at Uxbridge, yeah, and obviously my back had gone. I didn't know it at this point, but I remember being at mid-off, and I think Keith was on. I think you were on, and I was literally right next to you, and the ball just literally got hit to my left, and I remember being like. I can't move here. I can't move sideways. I've got a feeling you you did something to my car as well in the morning. Yeah, like, get out the car or something. Uh, no, um, yeah, I, I did. I forgot. I forgot that he had a bad bike. Um, I think I think Laurie or Will Portfield. It was an Audi that was driving you, and he came back. And I used to. I went through a phase of like trying to scare him like on camera all the time. Yeah, I'm and he got out the car. He didn't see me, and I've like screamed, and he's jolted, and he's yeah. I didn't get a good response from him. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that that would have been it. That would have been it because obviously stress. He's um, you know, lots of people suffer from. So I'm not the only one by any stretch. Um, but there, it's just a long, a long layoff. Do you know what I mean? You just don't want one, uh, basically. Um, so that that would be mine. Um, other than that, we were pretty fortunate. I think we had probably had one or two years where we felt we could have probably performed a bit better, didn't we, as a, both yeah. as a side and individually. Um, but, yes, yeah, certainly those major injuries are probably the, the hardest things to, to manage and cope with. And that's completely understandable, to be honest. And it was the timing, wasn't it, as well? That was the frustrating thing, because at that moment, you were getting more national attention because of that partnership with you two. We're developing, and who knows? In an alternate timeline, could have been playing for England. So it is just one of those. It is life. It's frustrating at times, but yeah. To be honest, I think it's safe to say, lads, that you certainly left your your mark here at Warwickshire, and I think that we, as the fans, would want you back at Edgebaston any day of the week. To be honest, still got very much a, a very special place in our hearts as Bears fans. And I suppose just one final question about that, because you did spend an awful lot of time together at Edgebaston. I just wanted to touch upon that final day in 2018 because the previous season was tough, wasn't it? Let's face it, being relegated from the first division, going down to division two. But then it was a special season, wasn't it? Getting promoted straight away, lifting division two in that final game of the season against Kent. In terms of the emotions, in terms of the feelings, Keith, I'll start with you first and foremost, mate. What were they like on that day, knowing the fact that after that game, you wouldn't play? together again um yeah it's obviously i i always thought in my head that i'd finished my career at warwickshire um i never thought that i'd be leaving at any point but um 
even though things had been said in my appraisals that made me aware I was going to be leaving, I still had a job to do, which, you know, you're still a contracted Warwickshire player. You've still got to do, in my eyes, give everything you can, no matter what. Um, and it was to you not know, finish, finish on a high, um, try and do everything I could. And I'm glad we got there in the end. Um, it was a shame to end the way it did, but at least we got Warwickshire over the line to get straight back up. 100% and it was a very memorable day wasn't it in terms of Trotty retiring as well I mean it was it was rough for us mm. as fans let me just tell you that I mean three massive goodbyes to be honest and yeah it was kind of bittersweet in many regards and right in terms of that day what were your emotions like given the fact that it, it was ultimately your last game for the Bears yes there was the elation of achieving that promotion but at, at the same time it was almost the the end of a chapter the end of an era in many ways, yeah. No, I think um, I think obviously on the field, literally nothing at all. And I felt I felt a bit emotional in the dressing room afterwards. You know, when we were all there together, and Trout spoke, and Pop spoke, and then obviously Trotty as well, Boyd as well. Um, so yeah, that it was that was that was kind of you know quite sad. Uh, but obviously, you know, we we won the league and stuff, so that that was great. I think I was probably a, w- more emotional middle of the year because um, obviously I sort of announced that I was moving to Leicester probably in the June. So that sort of month pre- prior to that, in terms of trying to work out whether I was going to resign or move on, that was probably the hardest part of the year. And once that decision was made. It was kind of all nice, do you know what I mean? I made sure I went out with everyone and, yeah, made the most of everyone socially, enjoyed the cricket and stuff, which obviously culminated in in winning. Uh, but, yeah, certainly afterwards in the chain room was pretty, pretty teary. I'm not surprised, to be honest, because, as I mentioned beforehand, it was the end of an era, and it was a special era, wasn't it? Let's face it, in terms of the, the trophies that this club won, I know, Chris, you joined in 2011, but... For yourself, Keith, 2010, the CB40 at Lords, that was special, wasn't it? Ian Bell with yeah. that 107, that was unbelievable. 2012 with the Championship, 2014 with the Blast, 2016, that Royal London One Day Cup final. Chris, I'll never ever forget that for the rest of my days on this planet. That was an unbelievably special day, wasn't it? Beating Surrey, a very strong Surrey side. Everybody seems to be writing us off. What did we do? Smashed it by eight wickets. So, again, for us as Warwickshire fans, that was quite the special day and then obviously just the the cherry on the cake was that 2018 division two victory so some very very special memories i'm not going to get too sentimental lads because otherwise we'll all be in tears on this podcast but <laughs> just one final soppy question i do have to ask before we touch upon the metro bank one day cup final chris do you miss sharing a dressing room with keith barker <laughs> oh no yeah absolutely absolutely um you know, I uh, Warwickshire was so so good playing with that amount of amazing players, and obviously Barks. I'd include Barks in this, but that team was, you know, you look to your left or to your right, and you've just got world class talent everywhere. It was un- unbelievable. So, you know, I miss I miss that um, that level of experience. But yeah, you know, we're great mates. So. Yeah, there's there's lots of funny stuff. What I would say is I know for a fact that Barks would fit in beautifully at the Leicester, in the Leicestershire changing room as well. I know the lads would would really enjoy him because obviously I, every now and again because I'm a bit older I'll drop a story, 
and it normally has barks in it so they kind of have this you know affectionate kind of thing going on with keith as well which is which is quite fun well that's lovely to be honest chris and keith are the sentiments very much the same or are you going to turn around and say no he was horrible i mean how would how would you answer that question no pretty much the same yeah um i'd love for right to be back with us um and he's got a, a lot to offer um it's always good to have someone that kind of sings off the same hymn sheet always experienced the same things you have on a cricket pitch um that your other teammates might not have um, and when you're trying to you know give advice or or you know explain situations it's always good to have someone else there who's been there and succeeded in those situations the way you have um so yeah, and the the kind of cricket chats we've we've had, um, we still have them the odd time. We had it at the end of the final in the hotel with a uh, Vian Mulder, which was quite a, quite a nice little chat we had. Um, but yeah, definitely, I'd have him my team no matter what. Well, that's a lovely answer to be honest, Keith. And <laughs> in terms of those chats, I know this is deviating slightly off topic, but I'm guessing they weren't always crickets. And I did ask this question actually to Sam Hayne and Michael Burgess when we had them on the podcast. But in terms of your most rogue chats, right, about life in general, what do you think is the most rogue conversation that you two have had over the years? Um, Nothing rogue. We, we like a property chat, don't we, every so often, or talk of what prop, what next property right he's getting. As you <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think there's that many rogue chats. There isn't. No, I'm trying to think if there is. I can't think... It's pretty. It's a lot around cricket, property chat a little bit. Uh, how families are getting getting on. I'd say that's it, pretty much. Have you never had like a chat about aliens or anything like that? You never thought about <laughs> things outside of this planet. Uh, you or... know what? This is because Haney's Haney, Haney, isn't it? Like, yeah, of course it is. Haney's a rogue cat, isn't he? Like we're yeah. a bit more. No, we're a bit. The only thing Wright's ever mentioned to do with like not on this earth is when we didn't start as well as we could. We did one game and he went all right we haven't started that well and it's like end of the world kind of thing he's, and his response was end of the day we're floating in space there's more to things than than like you know not not picking up a few wickets early on like there's a lot more going on around us than than that um but there's nothing really that stands out yeah haney's one like haney you look as what are you thinking about and he'd be like oh bicycles in balloons and you're like what are you on about bicycles in balloons and it's just yeah he, he's rogue yeah, I can't think of anything that that funky. I mean, we talk about football manager a bit back in the day, don't we? We get a bit of that going on. Yeah, oh, uh, shout. Yeah, what's no, the game? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh god, to go, to go back a few years when I actually had the time to play it. Jeez, um, but yeah, no, I don't think there's anything too unusual going on, is there? No. Talk about maybe there's more unusual stuff that goes on probably if we back together. Isn't it? We start talking about more random things, but. Yeah, I can't think of anything too strange. Fair enough. Well, at least we're not going too much off topic then in, in comparison to that. Well, let's just say chaotic episode with, with Burgie and Hayne. Those two are just feeding off each other. I think we also spoke about James Bond villains and grenade bar sponsorships. I mean, it was, yeah, hour and a half of absolute chaos, to be honest, having those two on the same podcast. So this is a bit more of an adult discussion. And in terms of those cars, righty, just because Keith did mention it, what do you say would be your dream car? If you could have all of the money in the world, you get one shot, one opportunity to have the car of your dreams. What car would you choose, and why? Oh, this is—I'm not—I'm not that way. I'm not like 
rogue. I'm not a huge car man. Like right now, I, I'd probably say something like just a really nice Aston Martin. No, like nothing. No, but no. Realistically, if you said to me like right now, I can just have a really nice Range Rover Sport done. I'd take it. Yeah, happy. Yeah, fair I'm enough, Keith. Yeah. What about uh, yourself? Uh, too many, too many choices. But Porsche 911 Turbo S and a Bentley GT Continental. That'll, that'll do me. Love how you even specify the Turbo S of that proper petrol yeah, it's head. Be, yeah. This bit. is his onion, you see. This is this no, is not. Thing. I just I just know cars I like. That's it. I remember you you've had do you remember that green focus <laughs> ST? Or right. you had to give back because everyone that loved and cared about you was scared. <laughs> <laughs> I had a folk I had a bright green focus RS which was pretty loud and like made a lot of pop and bangs and stuff like that. Um but he got to the stage where my miss at the time was getting a bit worried being part on the drive, so it was like I had that car for less than a year and kind of had to get rid. And in terms of colour, was it that lime green that we usually yeah. see on the... Oh, yeah. oh, like Forza. <laughs> very nice. Very nice choice. A man of culture, Keith. <laughs> Goodness me, what a lovely choice of car. But, but before we detour into an episode of the Grand Tour of Top Gear, because I'm well aware we probably could, to be honest, at this stage of the recording, let's just get back on track to our chats about the Metro Bank One Day Cup final. I did promise that we'd, we'd talk about that because in terms of the day itself, it was historic, wasn't it? Let's face it, Leicestershire lifting a list A trophy for the first time since 1985. You know, this, for a lot of Leicestershire fans, was a, a once-in-a-generation moment. So Richard Ray, for example, on the BBC commentary, was in tears. That's how much this day meant to him. And, of course, to all of those fans who appeared in their droves at the Radcliffe Road end. But, Chris, I'll start with you first and foremost, mate. In terms of that day, in terms of that occasion, what can you recall from the 2023 Metro Bank One Day Cup final? Uh, well, I think you touched on it there. I can remember the support that we had was unreal and i think obviously it coincided with the fact that the football the football team played the night before so they were having like a massive weekend of it <clears throat> but the support was amazing so i can that's that's a standout uh i can remember it's been a really nice day obviously aware playing against keith so that felt a bit nostalgic um and obviously you know had a bit of banter and stuff before the game and things but it, the, in general the atmosphere around the place was just really nice that day. And I think that's something I've definitely learned is in those big games is actually to give yourself a, or let yourself enjoy that, if you know what I mean. Um, I remember a long time ago, uh, we lost the final with Essex and we were all really worked up about the day and it kind of blew by, we lost. And then we kind of made it a, a point if we got into any more big games that we'd actually kind of, you know, trust the process a bit and enjoy the experience. And the, the Metro Bank final we've just played, yeah, it, it just felt really, yeah, a really special day from start to finish, to be honest. It, it really was, wasn't it? I mean, two excellent teams as well, to say the least. I mean, I was gutted that Warwickshire didn't make it, but Keith, your boys absolutely did a job on us, didn't you, in the semi-final? That was <laughs> not an enjoyable day at all, if you're a Warwickshire fan. But in terms of that one-day cup from a Hampshire perspective, I mean, what were the feelings? What was the confidence like heading into that game? Because in particular for the first 10, 15 overs, the Rose and Crown were well on top in that fixture. Yeah, I think um, it, we knew it wasn't going to be easy because when we obviously played Leicester um, 
few weeks before that and I I felt, you know, they were the stronger team. Um we played really well and we knew it was going to be tough. No one saw that start of the game coming at all. Um so, you know, I'm well aware we felt fully on top there. It was eighteen and nineteen for four. Um but they, you know, I think it was Swindles and one or two other lads that, you know, stuck around and you know, didn't give the wicket away. And maybe we just had a bit of a lapse in concentration. I felt that we just lost our way a little bit. Um, and then it was kind of trying to claw it back at the end. Um, so, you know, we, it was mixed emotions. It was great to start with. And obviously at the end, we didn't get over the line. So um, hopefully it's a learning curve for us to, you know, realise we can't ever take our foot off the gas and expect just a few people to do it. We've all got, always got to be on it. Um, that's the one thing I'll take away from that game. 100%. And that's important, isn't it? From a Hampshire perspective, you can learn from it. I mean, it was an excellent season in terms of the group stage. And of course, that semi-final was extremely one-sided in the end. But it, it could have just been a case of, of keeping the foot on the throttle, couldn't it? And potentially yeah. just taking a bit more chances and being a bit more ruthless in particular in that first innings. But Chris, from the Foxes' perspective, I wanted to to know your thoughts on this in terms of that knock from Harry Swindles in particular. That was unbelievable, wasn't it? Like the guy practically had his county career on the line up until that point. It was very much up in the air as to whether or not he'd even get a new contract. So in terms of the, the reactions at the end of that first innings, what was it like? What was the the feeling like in that Leicestershire dressing room at the end of those first 50 overs? Yeah, it was quite emotional, to be honest. Um, yeah, he, he. I think he would admit he his career was basically probably finished. Um, and to go out there and, you know, he could, he could have had just a I don't care what happens attitude and got lucky, but that's not his nature. He's like a really hardworking working He's a top lad, so he, the, to have that that on him, you know, and that pressure on his shoulders, and then actually to go and play in innings of that magnitude is unbelievable. And he's yeah, he's such a good guy. Everyone's so happy for him. And I think, um, well, yeah, obviously, what do we get to? Two sixty odd, two hundred sixty-seven, two sixty-seven. Yeah, I mean, we we were in a state of disbelief at the start when we were like four down or whatever. Um, obviously, we know about Keith and. Um, you know, his qualities, but you don't expect to be four down in a white ball game on a, a good, you know, glued used surface at Trent Bridge. That's not, that wasn't on our radar. And then to all of a sudden see a bloke who everyone really loves and care care about uh, go and play the innings of his life. It was unbelievable. I think genuinely a few guys were kind of like teary almost, you know what I mean? And then it, just, and it gave us hope, didn't it? It gave us something to bowl at. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was kind of a... A weird, a weird dressing room at halftime. Emotional, hopeful, um, but yeah, very, very pleased. I can imagine you were because it is just one of those innings which, to be honest, we'll probably remember for years, won't we? Harry Swindle's 117 not outs in that game and the way in which he brought it up as well, it was a fine shot, really, really excellent shot down the ground and I can imagine it would have been emotional for a guy who was practically coming towards the end of what could have been that first chapter of his career. So, honestly, it was astonishing. And that was just the, the first half of this incredible cricketing spectacle because then, of course, we had the run chase. And 
You mentioned there about the the emotions and almost the heightened emotions in that Foxy's dressing room at the at the interval, Chris. In terms of the second innings, were you guys confident of defending that particular total? Uh, I, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I, I certainly didn't expect on that surface to go and do what uh, Keith did and go and get three for spit in the first whatever overs. It felt it felt like if we were going to win, it was going to be how we kind of did, where it was going to be chip away, scrap, um, field well, pick up wickets at important times, um, and ultimately try and come out, you know, as a as a as a winner that way. Obviously, we 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 had Colin was our was our spin option. We didn't have Crane and you know two international spinners, so it was going to have to be a group effort. Where basically we we don't we don't make it easy and we kind of just keep scrapping, um, which is obviously you know fortunately for us that's how it worked out. It certainly did because Hampshire got off to a great start, didn't they? But yeah, it's just that constant chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, and then as we got towards the the fascinating climax, and it really was a great conclusion. It's not just the final, but the entire competition. You two actually faced off against each other, which I've got to be honest from my position at Trent Bridge, was absolutely crazy to watch. It, it really was um, quite astonishing, to be honest, just watching that battle after seeing it for years in a Warwickshire shirts alongside each other. In terms of that particular matchup, Keith, what was that like facing Wrighty, in particular, in a major final? What was going through your head as he came <laughs> charging in to bowl? Quite a lot, because he knows my strengths, he knows my weaknesses, Um you're looking at the run chase. Obviously, I was bang with Liam Dawson at the time. Um, short-sided boundary, knowing he's coming over, pushing potentially pushing it across me, but at the same time, he's got the leg side to bowl at. Um, there's a lot of a lot going on in my head there, um, and I think I can't remember. I think I may have got a single, and then Dawson got a single. I think I might have faced the last four. Um, but I remember thinking, you know, one boundary here and we we don't need many off the last over or we might do it in this over. Um, I think I tried to give myself, run at you and give myself room, which is the dot ball. And I was waiting for his bum because it's always coming, Chris. It's always going to be, there's always going to bounce around the corner yeah. some point, um, which I was too early on. And I thought, I only picked that up as a normal bouncer. I thought he's done me with a slow ball bouncer. Um, and we spoke about it later on. It was actually his normal bouncer, but it just hit me. Obviously, it was crossing, wasn't it? It kind of just hit the seam and slowed up. Um, so I'm thinking, right, I can't pick up his, that slow ball. Um, so I've got to try and do something. And that's why I think it was, became a bit more frantic. Um, and Dorse was good. He tried to keep me level, but there was that much going on. It was quite tough just because we've, we've shared a... Uh, room together for years playing together and know each other so well so it's kind of me trying to second guess Chris um, which you know it works in his favour Well it did in the end didn't it I mean He did bowl a very good over. over I will say he bowled a very good over He, well, he did I, I, it's, it's one of them there I think the pressure the pressure wasn't really on me there because ultimately the score was so low I think what there was I think what did Hampshire need with two overs to go? Like, 
11 maybe yeah something like 12. so do you know what i mean it, i couldn't really there was no i couldn't get it wrong i don't think there um so it that gave me a bit of freedom and it meant you know there was a little bit of luck in there like you said that that bouncer was meant to be that was meant to be a bouncer where i know you try and whack it out of the park and hopefully you get a top edge and we get a wicket but the way it came out the surface it came out a lot slower and obviously it was a dot and it kind of do you know what i mean um so there's obviously little bits of luck in there obviously a bit of timing and stuff but that yeah i think it was um yeah i yeah i'm sort of trying to be nice nice to keith here i don't think you did anything wrong do you know what i mean i think there was a little bit of luck on my side and perhaps i could be quite carefree about how i bowled that over do you know what i mean which potentially cause not confusions around her, but do you know what I mean? Would have would have yeah. led to the outcomes that there were. But I actually think you've been a bit harsh on yourself there, right? I think it was a fantastic over, to be honest, <laughs> just in, in general. Honestly it was to produce that in the penultimate over of a major one day cup final was outstanding. And you gave Josh something to at least try and defend. You know, if if one of those balls would have gone for four or six equation would have been completely different and it is absolutely fascinating this has never happened on the podcast we've had two players on opposing sides of the pitch actually discuss what happened I mean this is a brilliant brilliant insight to be honest and in terms of the the final over of that game from both of your perspectives Keith I'll start with you first and foremost what's going through your mind at that point given the fact that it was about eight runs wasn't it off the the final over two to win yeah. What's your game plan in terms of those final six deliveries? Well, initially, when I first came into bat, my I was going to try and go from ball one, but Dors said to me, like, no, no, we've got time to bat here. Don't don't go too soon. Um, so I kind of was, I think I tried to go the over before, um, but I think his last ball against Hill, or one of his last few, he'd hit him for six. Um, over like mid off or cover, and my intent was just to try and get him back on strike. Um, and as he let go of that ball, I've clipped it for a one, and I just thought, You idiot, that was in the slot to park. Like, my mindset should have been different at that point. I was to the short side, um, but yeah, a lot going on, the pressure of it and stuff. So, kind of, I think I got Dorse back on strike then. I think, did he get out that? the next ball or I, I can't it, remember it was, it was the next ball fourth ball yeah. of the over and funnily enough the it. man who caught him it is on the screen same yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and then I think Scott Curry that came in next so it was kind of like right let's just do what we can um, and I just thought to myself because there was short side for me I thought if I can, even it goes through to the keeper, get just get a single and give me probably a better chance than Scott because I've been in for a little bit longer hitting to the short side that there's a better chance of us maybe getting those runs. Um, and it's amazing what you think of because I remember um, Hiller bowled a few, one or two in the slot leg side and I clipped for one I didn't get hold of. Um, so I just thought to myself, this last ball... He's going to try and probably go for a Yorker, but he's always, he's kind of end up bowling like a good length to try and really get hold of. So I've probably preempted it being there and ended up being a full toss and I've just not adjusted in time. Clothed it and yeah, 
that was that was it. That was the game, um, and it shouldn't have come to that really. But um, it's one of those you look back on and you can't change the outcome now. But um, learn from it if you're ever in that situation again. Got to be even though there's a lot going on. Got to be more aware of what's going on and stay in in the moment. You know, not don't get caught up with it. Absolutely. And Chris, from from your perspective, I mean, that was, again, a great insight, Keith. Honestly, that was fascinating, to be honest. It's great to hear that. But in terms of, of that final delivery in particular, given that it was four to win, wasn't it? If you would have hit a boundary on that yeah. final ball, it would have been Hampshire. Hampshire would have been list A champions yet again for another time in their, in their history. But in terms of that final ball and the outcome of that, Chris, what was the, the feeling like in that particular split second? Did you, I don't know, how did you react at the, the fact that you'd made that history and, and lifted that trophy for the first time in, was it 38 years? 38 years it was, wasn't it? 1985. What was that moment like? Yeah, very, very special. Um, and it's probably going to sound cliche, but to, to win it with that group of players as well, because we all get along really well. Um, it, it just meant so much to everyone. Do you know what I mean? Um, whether or, whether or not you're looking at you know your Smebs and your your Swinney, who obviously got the runs, but they're you know born and bred from Leicestershire, and even then, you know you know you got Vian as overseas, who who's kind of like you know he's had that continuity, so he, he's with us again for another two seasons. Um, so he's part of the furniture. It's just a, it's just a close knit side. Um, yeah, and it just yeah, it just felt great. And I think, you know, in respect for Hampshire as well, we knew we knew they're a good side. Um, but it 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 did feel like the whole tournament we were playing really well. Um and you know, I think Warwickshire obviously had a superb tournament, Hampshire had a good tournament, and ourselves, and it felt like, you know, we'd been consistent through the month of August and that we'd earned it. So it was really heartwarming, yeah. I can imagine it was and completely echo that sentiment as well, to be honest. I mean, obviously I would have loved the Bears to have been in there, but the cricket that both of your two teams played over the course of that competition was stellar. It really was. It was absolutely superb. A great final and just a, a great showpiece to end what was a fantastic competition. So I'm really glad, to be honest, that we did take the time to talk about that because it's a special moment in Leicestershire's history and for you two. I'm guessing it was almost a surreal day, wasn't it? And in terms of the immediate reaction afterwards, you mentioned beforehand, Keith, about that chat in the hotel with the pair of you and Will Mulder. What was the the feeling like after that game had finished? Because I'm guessing it would have been pretty mad. Yeah, it was... Um, obviously, we were on the opposite side of it, so we were all a bit a bit down and um, unhappy we didn't get over the line. Um and I think at the, that time, lads would have looked at certain points of the game and wished things that have, they'd have done different, or um, you know, just tried to or learn, or try to learn from. Um, it, we were pretty uh, keen to catch up, so we just had a chat about the the game pretty quickly and um, just our thoughts, because obviously we didn't give our thoughts away before the game. Um, so we we're chatting what our thoughts were before the game how we felt during the game and different situations. Um, and then, yeah, good chat with Vian just about bowling, as I think it was, wasn't it, really? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because did you, did you bump it? No, I don't know. I can't remember this. You got him out LB, but he wasn't really into the ball because he said he thought you oh, were going to bump him or something. Yeah. Like um, 
it so, goes back for quite a while, doesn't it? Goes back, it goes back to the beginning of August when we had Paul Nixon coming in. Um, he came along with us for all the group games pretty much and just helped out and was in and around giving his advice on certain things. And then we played Leicester and he, he said to us, no, do not bump Villa Mulder, which is like <laughs> red to a, a bull when uh, I hear stuff like that, like do not do this. Um, and I know my bump is not the quickest, but you know if you, you can still catch someone off guard. Um, That's bad that, advice actually from Nico. You can bump. It's bad advice from Nico that you can bump. Well, end. I think he was just saying like you know he he was just basically saying he's very good on the short ball, and our head coach Eddie Birrell backed it up as well and said actually he's from this. Uh, certain part of South Africa and you've got two different types of bats and if they're from a certain part of South Africa um, but they're really good like on the front foot but if they're from this part where Vian's from they're really good on the back foot so stay away from it kind of thing um, but there's no better time to give someone a bumper than their first ball especially when they're not expecting it so my first ball zipped through pretty quick actually um, and I, I thought you know I've done that now I'm not going to go again because he could get hold of me that was the first game at the Aegis Bowl so when it was the final, um, I just I was trying to move the ball away and it stopped it stopped swinging. So I just went to wobble seam um, and got him out of LBW. And we had a chat about that later. And he said, you know, because of my bumper the first game, he was weary of getting too far forward because he thought, you know, I might I might get hit. Uh, he might get hit basically. Um, and he said we were just saying about it's amazing how. You know, that's like from being told, don't bump him. I probably wouldn't have if, I, if we were told not to. Um, but the fact it, you know, it ended up me getting him out in the final because he's such a good player and a vital player for Leicester in his role. Um, yeah, it was just interesting that, you know, he was thinking about he's gonna, he, he might bump me again. Well, actually, in my head, I was like, I'm not doing it this time because it might not come through as quick um, and just focus on the stumps. So, yeah, it was some interesting chats. Really good. You know, yeah, you know so what good. I found interesting was how many people this is probably on your podcast as well and then in the bar afterwards who thought that us batting first was the wrong the wrong decision and i'm like i look at it i'm i'm i'm, I'm all for it it was a used glued pitch you know you guys had dawson and crane mm. um the way we play as well we've won a few games this year just by getting a you know a huge yeah. um and then pretty much squeezing so it really, it really suited our game plan, and I think it potentially negated Crane and Dawson bowling, perhaps if the wicket deteriorated. So I was, I was all for it, but it seems like it got a little bit of bagging. Yeah, it did. It did. It, it wasn't just in in the players either. It was also in the press box. Quite mm. a few people were thinking, in particular, after the way in which Hampshire had dismantled Warwickshire the previous game. I think that's probably what came into the, the thought process as well. A bit of, all oh, right, okay, why have they done this? And in particular, when you were, was it 24 for five? I think those questions were beginning to, to resurface, to be honest, quite a lot. But in the end, it did pay off. And yeah, to be honest, it was just, I know I keep on mentioning this, but a great showpiece, a great climax. It was the conclusion which this year's One Day Cup thoroughly deserved. And you two definitely put on a show, in particular, that 49th over. That was absolutely cinematic. Forget Oppenheimer, forget Barbie, forget uh, Napoleon. That was the, the blockbuster of 2023, if you ask me. And Chris, I know that you're a little bit short for time for today's episode, so we'll wrap up in just a, a few moments' time. But just one final question in particular for you. 
about your time at Leicestershire is about the contract extension because that was a little bit of a confusing time, wasn't it? Towards the last stages of the season, we thought you're moving down to the south coast to go and play for Sussex and then all of a sudden you're staying at Grace Road, which is brilliant for us because it means you're still in the Midlands and close <laughs> to Birmingham. But in terms of that decision, if you're, you're happy and comfortable to go into this, why did you ultimately choose to, to stay at the East Midlands County of Leicestershire? Uh, well, ultimately, it, it was a, a family thing and it was to do with my children and the schools they're at, basically. And it just became it became clear probably at the start of August because I can't remember the exact time that I'd agreed to go down to, to Hove, probably in July, maybe, I think, something like that. Um, it, but it just became apparent that it, it was going to put a huge strain on my missus um, and the kids, to be fair. And it, it wasn't really... It wasn't really doable. I mean, it would be doable for me, do you know what I mean? Because I'd have been in, in Brighton, you know, playing cricket and doing whatever. But if, for them at home, it wouldn't it wouldn't have worked. Um, and so, you know, gradually it became clear um, and spoke to Paul Farbrace just before the championship game against Sussex, actually, and just sort of expressed my concerns and stuff. And he, he was... To be fair, he was fantastic about it. He he, he understood and, um, you know, said no hard feelings that I totally get it. Um, family first and stuff. So I'm very thankful to him. And then obviously thankful that Leicestershire was still prepared to to have me at Grace Road. So, it, you know, in that in that sense, it's a, it was a pure family decision. And um, thankfully, all parties you know, work together to come up with what, what I think is the, the right outcome, both for both for me personally, but also for Leicestershire and for Sussex, because you know, when you when you have a player, when you sign a player, you want them you want them all in, don't you? Do you know what I mean? You you don't necessarily want any baggage and things. And I think basically that would have been what happened if I'd have moved moved down south about my family and stuff. It would have been like a, a ghost of Chris Wright. It wouldn't have been the, the bowler perhaps that they were wanting. Well, no, that's completely fair enough. And it's similar, actually, to, to Ryan Sidebottom, funnily enough, another former Bear, because he had a deal at Kent, which was lined up, but he, he didn't want to just put his family through it. You know, he's already built a life here in the West Midlands, and I think you've hit the nail on the head there, to be honest, right? It's family first, isn't it? You've got to think of the of the long term as well. And thankfully, Leicestershire also see you in their plans, and still got plenty to look forward to on the pitch in terms of, of both your bowling guns. Just to, to wrap up what's been a, a brilliant episode of the podcast. Honestly, I, I've just been smiling throughout this. It's it's almost like reliving my childhood as a Warwickshire fan, to be honest. Just <laughs> need to be out there at Edgebaston now. But um, <laughs> back on track. In, in terms of the future, um, what are you two hoping to achieve in the game, Keith? I'll start with you first and foremost. What are your aspirations in the game heading into the summer of 2024? And of course, the years beyond. Oh, hopefully... I'd love another trophy, um, championship trophy. That's um, I think um, I was told this the first time when when uh, I won, won it with Warwickshire. I think Jim Trouton said to me, "You can't really, you don't really take it in because you don't really, you know, you're just like in the moment you're buzzing with this and the other." But for him, like winning it a second time, I think he won it twice. Um, yeah, he did two thousand four. Yeah. He did as well. He said, you know, he was able to soak it up a lot more and really like just live it like properly um so it'd be nice to kind of win it again you know it's my main 
uh, cricket that I'm involved in. Uh, and I always play to win, so it'd be nice to try and get one more trophy. Um, I'm not sure how many people do win the championship more than once, uh, so I'd like to add to that. Um, hopefully, after that, um, I do quite a lot of coaching. Like I started doing stuff with the Vipers and uh, use Southampton University and a, a Winchester College down here. So hopefully, there's, I'll keep with the coaching and hopefully some avenues open up for me um, post cricket. Well, Keith, it goes without saying, mate, but obviously myself and everybody associated with the County Cricket Podcast are wishing you all the very best of luck heading into the future, mate. Honestly, we, we want you on the cricket field. Don't finish just yet. I know you've got the coaching on the horizon, but still got plenty in the tank and, yeah, plenty more wickets. Fingers crossed it could lead to Hampshire's first championship title since 1973. It has been a long time coming, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you what, that squad has definitely got the pedigree and with the addition of Ali Orr as well up the top of the innings goodness me that is looking like a very very strong outfit to say the least and righty what about yourself mates obviously staying at Leicestershire Metro Bank one day cup champions it's quite the nice tag isn't it to take into the new season but heading into 2024 and the years beyond what are you looking to achieve in this most wonderful of sports oh uh, yeah well I think we're all really looking forward to having the tag defending champions to be fair um so that's going to be really fun to go out there and actually play with a bit more expectation on us to win. Do you know what I mean? Um, so that we made good progress in the Red Bull um, last year. So I think we want to build on that. We sort of we found, we found our way a bit more. Um, so, yeah, certainly building on that. I think we came, did we finish fourth? But probably up until two games before the end. We felt like we were a realistic chance of going up. I think ultimately Durham were the best side in the division, um, but that second place spot could have perhaps fallen one or two ways. Um, and obviously, it wasn't to be for us. But I think we've shown signs that we can we can go a bit better. I think next year um, we've made a couple of good signings. Obviously, disappointed to lose Ackers and Parkey, who were two top top guys and top players, but. Um, but yeah, obviously we've got to move forward and we've made a couple of interesting signings. So hopefully we can consolidate fourth and go, you know, third, second, first, perhaps. Well, again, Wrighty, I'll say the exact same thing, but obviously we wish you all the best of luck heading into the rest of, of next season. And of course, those years beyond as well, because it is an exciting time, isn't it? At Grace Road, you mentioned those new signings. Scott Curry coming in for a season-long loan as well, funnily enough, from Hampshire. So... The, the seam attack has definitely been bolstered and, yeah, Liam Travaskis and, and Ben Cox also added into the mix as well. So, yeah, it could be interesting. I think it's been, I think it might have been 20 years, actually, since Leicestershire were last in Division 1. I think it's the longest active streak in, in county cricket. So, who knows? If things go well, that streak could be ended and you could be facing off against each other again in Division 1. That'd be quite nice, wouldn't it, in 2025? But... Chaps, I think that is a lovely place to wrap up what's been an incredible episode of the Counter Cricket Podcast. It's been the recording of dreams, to be honest. Have to pinch myself, still check if it's real. But just before we do say our final goodbyes for the recording, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses? Chris, your TikTok, anything like that? <laughs> I think I'm life of Chris Wright on all my social media channels. So I always love to get more followers. Um, we're probably not quite ready to release anything formal about our podcast yet, but rest assured, we'll probably come up with something straight away in the new year. Right, Keith? Something like that? 
Hopefully, hopefully, mate. I'm letting Chris sort all that out. I'm useless. <laughs> <to that. laughs> well, fair enough. We're, we'll keep a close eye on that. And Keith, in terms of your personal socials, do you want to plug anything? The Twitter, Instagram, anything? You know, I, I don't even know. Like, I am on there. I don't even know. That's like, yeah, I'm on there. So just search me. <laughs> see what see what comes up. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I'll tell you what, gents, I'll leave the links to your personal socials in the podcast description below. So if any of you wonderful listeners out there want to go and follow either Keith or Chris, or indeed both of them, the dynamic duo, please feel free to do so by clicking on those links in the description below. And of course, when the podcast does get released, I'll be leaving the links to that as well down below. So if you want to go and check out the brand new venture between Chris Wrights and Keith Barker, you can also find that by checking out the podcast description down below. But That is it from us three here at the Counter Cricket Podcast for today's episode. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.